Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Growing up, I loved playing with my magnifying glass. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, anyone? <laughs> Looking for the clues here and there, playing imaginary scenarios. Or uh, I also remember trying to zap insects, harness the power of the sun, <laughs> right? Uh, it's interesting because now you can use these phones as a magnifying glass, but I don't yet think you can zap insects with a phone. Uh, so it's still good to go old school once in a while. <laughs> uh, today we're wrapping up our Fool's Gold mini-series on wisdom from the Proverbs by examining three things that our money magnifies. Because it's so easy to mix up um, fool's gold with real gold, uh, real wisdom from counterfeit wisdom. So we're gonna look at three things, three areas in our lives that our money seems to magnify using the wisdom of Proverbs. So let's get started. Our first point is this, money magnifies what we believe about ourselves. Growing up, uh, because of my parents, I just, I, because of how they were and how they worked, uh, I just learned that uh, you had to work hard and you had to, to, to work smart. And if you worked hard and you worked smart, then you'd always have enough. So my dad, when he came, he came with only $10 to Canada in the 70s um, and would go from one job to another right out of the military. So he didn't have college education or anything like that. And he was just trying to make ends meet for him and his wife, you know, my mom and, and our whole family. Uh, my mom worked at the herring plant uh, when it was herring season and, and then went on EI, the other part, and, and did that for a while and, and then was like, okay, we gotta, maybe there's something else, something else that we can do. Uh, so went to school and, and did different jobs all the way until they ended up managing a max convenience store. Uh, so they worked hard, really hard to get to that point. And then eventually, as they were doing that, they learned enough about managing that convenience store that they uh, ended up buying their own and uh, starting their own convenience store. And as they were doing that, they realized how much people loved flowers uh, so, and, and the markup that there is on flowers. Uh, so they, my mom learned how to be a florist and a florist, and then she started arranging flowers. You know, they'd wake up early, go grab the flowers from the market and come and, and arrange that and sell it. And, and then they not only did that, they rented out our basement. As, and as each of my sisters got old enough to move out of the house, uh, instead of having a vacant room, uh, they rented out that room to international students. Uh, so they worked hard and they worked smart. And as a result, that's, I, I just learned how to do that too. So for me, I, I'd go to the grocery store with my parents when I was a kid and I'd help pack groceries for them and then I would help unload them at home. And, and at, at that point in time, no one paid by card. It was either cash or check. And my parents always paid by cash. So I, I realized early on that if I did this and I helped out, I could ask them for the change and they would give it to me, which is great. So I loved going to the grocery store with them. Uh, and then they let me uh, return all the bottles and keep the money, the deposit money as well. 
Uh, and then as I got older, I started tutoring kids in school a few grades younger than me and made some extra money that way. I, I played violin and guitar growing up and I started teaching younger uh, people, you know, how to play guitar and do violin. I earned money that way. So it's just, the, that was the milieu. That was the, 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 how it was growing up, right? I just learned from my parents that you got to work hard and you got to work smart. And if you do that, you'll always have enough. And we always did growing up. We always had enough. In fact, the only time we would ever go on vacation to give you a sense of my family would be when my parents built their business up enough to sell it. Then we'd go on vacation and then they would come back and figure out what they're going to do next, build up, you do another business, build it up and then sell it. So we only really went on vacation as a family uh, a handful of times. So growing up, that's what I believed. You work hard, you work smart, you're going to have enough. And in, over the course of my life, when I had enough, you know what I thought? I was like, man, I, I'm, I worked hard. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm smart. I'm competent. I can do this. I can provide for my family. And, and when I had enough, that's what I seemed to believe underneath the service. But what was interesting is when I at one point lost my job and, and was without work for six months and had a six-month-old daughter at home and, and Christina and I were trying to figure out, I was putting my resumes out everywhere and no one would call me back, that thinking started to break down, right? And, and it wasn't, because I thought I worked hard, but I, I wasn't having enough, I didn't have enough. So, so then in my mind, I started thinking, I'm useless, I'm, I'm worthless, I, I can't even... I can't even get a job. And that sort of thinking started going into my mind. In your life, do you see or have you seen how money can magnify thoughts like that or, or can magnify what you believe about yourself? For example, uh, think about the last time you were at a grocery store and uh, you were shopping and, and checking off your list. And, and then as you were nearing the exit, uh, you know, as you were nearing the, the cashier, you realized that you didn't have enough money to buy everything in your cart. Have you ever had an experience like that? And then you kind of covertly put a few things back. In that moment, what did you think about yourself? What did you feel? What do you do? Or maybe, um, maybe you have some credit card debt. It was only supposed to be for a month, but it, it kind of, another emergency came up and then another emergency came up and, and then it just kind of piled up to where it is right now. And, and you, every month you, you get that credit card statement and, and you look at the minimum payments and you look at how long it's gonna take to pay off these minimum payments and, and, and you're just like, like when, you, when you get that and when you read that credit card statement, like what do you think? How do you feel in that moment? What do you then do? Or, or, or maybe uh, you've, it's tax season and maybe you did your taxes and, and this year you've, you're getting a refund, right? And you're like, oh, I'm gonna get a refund. And in that moment, what do you, and, and, and you see the amount that you, you think you're gonna get back. In that moment, what do you think? What do you feel? What do you do? Or maybe you've um, just realized you've gotten an inheritance. Someone passed. 
or you got a bonus at work or you've encountered an unexpected amount of money in that moment or in those moments in the past, what did you think? What did you feel? What did you do? Friends, the fact of the matter is that money magnifies what we believe about ourselves, which is why it says in Proverbs 28.11, a rich person is wise in his own eyes, but a poor one who has discernment sees through him. Now, let's keep that on the screen, and, and I want you to reread that and, and look at this, because in this verse we see two people. Right? We see one who is rich and thinks they can see clearly, and then we see another who is poor and who can actually see clearly. So what is this verse talking about? Is this saying that, though, that, that, that poor people are the only ones who can see clearly? No, not necessarily. Because I know wealthy people who are incredibly wise and discerning. And I know poor people who think they can see clearly, but actually can't. Uh, they're, they're not that wise in how they handle their money. So what is this verse then talking about? Well, it's referring to the fact that money magnifies what we believe about ourselves. Right? If we have money, it's easy to think that we are the ones who did it. Right? It's easy to think that the money that we have reflects our competencies, our abilities, and what we can do. In the passage, it says we are wise in our own eyes. Right? It's easy to think that, which is why wealth can so easily lead to pride. And then when we don't have enough money, uh, we're forced to pause, right? We're forced to reflect. We're forced to try to balance our budget and try to figure out what we need to cut out. And, 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 and it's sobering, isn't it? And that's why in the first week of this series, Steve unpacked the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. A big bank account is, the beginning of, is not the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And when we allow those moments, we, we allow ourselves to pause, to reflect, to discern, to, to grow in discernment in those moments, we can grow in wisdom. So what is your money magnifying about yourself? What is it telling you about yourself? Well, our money, uh, the, the reason our money magnifies what we believe about ourselves is because it magnifies the condition of our hearts, which is our second point. Now, let's walk through a couple scenarios, and I want, I want, I want you to see how this works, okay? Uh, I'm going to share a belief that you may have about money, uh, a belief that you may believe in your heart about your money, and then I want to show you after we outline what that belief is, um, what it looks like when you have enough money and when, what it looks like when you don't have, okay? So let's, here's the first scenario. Uh, if you believe that your money belongs to you, right, that everything that you have, the money that you have, the money that you earn belongs to you, if you believe that, then when, uh, to use it as you want and please, then when you have enough money, what does it magnify? What does it reveal about your heart? Well, it, it, it shows you that, or what you're going to feel inside is a sense of autonomy. You're going to have a sense of self-sufficiency. You're going to feel independent, right? Because you earned this. You got this. You did this. You, and it's your money, and you can use it as you want and please on what you want to use it 
on, right? So there's this sense, if you, if you, if you believe that your money belongs to you, there's this magnification of, of independence and self-sufficiency. But if you don't have enough money and you believe that your money belongs to you, then you know what you feel? You end up feeling a sense of, of, of lack or dependence or inferiority um, of, of not having enough and sometimes maybe even not being enough because you literally have to depend on others for your food and to pay your bills and to do all that. Now maybe you're like, Daniel, I, I don't, that's, that's not me. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. that. I don't believe that all my money is mine. Okay, um, maybe you believe in your heart that money can buy happiness. If you believe that money can buy you happiness, then when you have enough money, uh, you feel joy. You feel like, yeah, let's go on a vacation. Let's buy that RV, right? Let's go redo our kitchen. Let's, let's, let's go to Hawaii. And I mean, you, you, have this, you have these feelings because you're like, yeah, money can buy happiness. I have money. I'm going to buy myself some happiness. <laughs> but then when you don't have enough money, if you believe money can buy happiness, and if you don't have enough money, then on the flip side, uh, what happens is you can go through a swing of emotions, because right, now the thing that you thought was going to lead to happiness, you can't afford anymore. Or maybe you're like, okay, I'm going I'm to wait a few months. And, and maybe you wait a few months and something else comes up, right? Another emergency comes up and another emergency comes up. And, and you can never afford to buy the thing that you wanted to buy that, would, that you thought was going to lead to happiness. So then you can end up feeling down and depressed, right? Now, maybe you're like, Daniel, I, that's, I don't believe that about money either. Uh, I, don't, I don't think money can buy me happiness. Uh, so then maybe you think that money can fix things. Maybe that's your thing. In, inside of your heart, you believe that money can, can fix things and money can solve your problems. Well, if that's the case, then when you have enough of it, it what it magnifies is a feeling of power. Right? It's, it's a feeling of power because, yeah, Oh, that's, that's broken? Oh, I, can, I, can, I can fix that. Oh, my furnace failed? It's okay, I got money for that. I can do that. I can do anything. And there's this feeling of power that can begin developing where you are your own master, right? You're good to go. Now, if you feel like um, money can fix things and you don't have enough of it, you know, you know what you feel on the flip side? Uh, not power, you feel powerlessness, you feel helplessness, uh, maybe sometimes hopelessness because you're like, why can't I afford a car that doesn't keep on breaking down? Why does it feel like one month after another, there's, I, I, I save a little bit and it just goes right out the door plus more. I can never get ahead. If you believe that money can fix things when you don't have enough of it, that's what it starts to magnify in your heart. Do you see how money magnifies the condition of our hearts? And it's not the same for everyone, it's not. But do you see how whatever you might believe about money and what money can do, do you see how it can magnify the condition of your heart when you both have enough, a lot of it and when you don't have enough of it? After all, we're so prone to trust in our money, right? And we're so prone to, to trust in our money because money occasionally gives us what we want. 
Money occasionally makes us happy, right? Occasionally. Money occasionally solves our problems, right? But do you know what you call someone who only occasionally shows up? A bad boyfriend. (laughs) A bad girlfriend. You call those people flaky, right? Don't trust someone who can only occasionally show up or something that only occasionally delivers, right? Something that only occasionally and oftentimes takes, takes, takes and only occasionally gives, right? We can't place our trust in things like that. And that's why in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we read that we shouldn't place our trust in money. We shouldn't place our trust in anything other than the Lord. Perhaps you know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely or do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him or acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Right? How, many of you, how many of you know this verse? Yeah, right? I mean, the majority. How many of you have memorized this verse? I'm curious. Okay, so not as many people, but still a good portion. Um, how many of you know what comes right after this verse? Okay, one. <laughs> Two. Let's take a look. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Trust in the Lord. And do not rely or do not lean on your own understanding. That phrase lean on or rely is a, is a, is a really interesting image because it's this image of leaning on a broken crutch. Imagine if you sprained your ankle and you had a crutch and the crutch was broken and you tried leaning on that crutch. <laughs> you know what would happen? I mean, not only would you fall, but you'd have another broken ankle. <laughs> right? So that's what this verse is talking about. It's like, don't lean on broken, a broken crutch. Don't lean on, don't rely on your broken understanding. Right? We don't see fully, we see dimly. Instead, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't see how he's working, you know, there's that song. Even when you don't see how he's working, even when you don't see how he's moving, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Do not lean on the things that you can see, the things that you control. Trust in him and in all your ways know him and he will make your path straight. He will lead you forward. He will move you and open the doors and close the doors and show you the path to life and life in its full when we live our lives to know him, to make him known, to be known by him. And then the next verse, don't be wise in your own eyes, right? Because Proverbs 3 doesn't, start at ver- doesn't stop at verse 6. It keeps on going on. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. You know, what's interesting about these two verses is we sometimes in life, well, not sometimes, a lot of us, most of the time, uh, trust the wisdom that's out there more than we do the wisdom that's in here. And, you know, we, we see it come out in situations like this, right? Perhaps you have high blood pressure, 
or perhaps you have chronic stress or, or perhaps there's something in your life you're, you've been trying to lose weight and, and, and you can't seem to lose weight or, or there's just something, right? Something that you've gone to the medical doctors to and, you, and you've gone this way, that way. You've tried to figure this out, right? You've tried to fix it with earthly wisdom and, and it's just, it's not working, right? You can't find a path forward. And then maybe in those times you turn to the scriptures and you're like, okay, so what does God have to say about this? What would it look like in situations like that if we were to turn to the word first? And we, return to, we, were, we would turn to him first and seek his wisdom. Because look at this. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise according to the ways of this world. Fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And turn away from evil. And then, look at this, this will be healing for your body. This will be strengthening for your bones. And then the next verse says, honor the Lord with your possessions. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what would happen if, if, if God were to pull up a stool right beside each and every one of us. And he were to look at all that we have all of our possessions. I, I wonder if he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not talking about living a minimalist life or living in a cardboard box or doing this or driving a junker around. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just, I'm just, I just wonder if God would look at all of your possessions and the way you've spent your money and if he would say, you've honored me with this. not talking about if you're honoring him with your time or if your talents. I'm, I'm asking if he would say, yeah, you know what? You're honoring me with your treasures and with your possession. And then the next part of the verse says, honor the Lord with your possessions and honor the Lord with the first produce of your entire harvest. This is bringing back imagery from Cain and Abel and uh, Cain and Abel where uh, one offered their first produce and the other didn't, right? It kind of gave them weak animals or, or not the best of, of, of the animals. And, and, and there's this, that's, that's the imagery that Solomon here is, is, is bringing up, right? With your first produce, your entire harvest. Uh, he's talking about tithing, this biblical principle around stewardship, that God is actually the owner of everything and we are stewards of it. We're, we're not owners of what we have and then we give to God out of what we have. The biblical principle is actually that God owns everything and he has just entrusted us as stewards. So when we tithe, when we give the first produce or the first 10% of what we earn and what we receive and what we get, it's actually, uh, it's not, it's not, we're not, we're not giving it to God from what we have. It's actually, we're just we're just returning what he's given to us, the first 10% of what he's given to us. It's a principle of stewardship. That's what he's referring to. That. So I wonder if God were to bring up the stool beside us, he would say, yes, you know, you are honoring me with your possessions and, and you are honoring me because you're not giving me what's left over at the end of the month. You're giving me what's first, even before you know what else is coming up. Because then we see in verse 10, then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. In other words, when we honor God, 
and we recognize that our lives, that our life is stewardship, he will provide for us. Now just, I just want to pause for a moment because there's some false teaching out there, uh, particularly from prosperity theology proponents who say, give to God and then you're going to get. And there, there, it is true that when we give of our first, God will provide, uh, but we're prosperity theologians and proponents of that theology get it wrong, is that they, 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 they say, hey, give money and then you're going to get money. Now where that falls apart is, think about seeds, right? Like I'm, I'm excited as, I'm excited for spring. I know the snow here and there is kind of like, what's happening? No, but spring, you know, spring is here. I believe spring is here and, and it's going to keep on going. And I'm excited to plant lettuce seeds. I'm excited to plant carrot seeds and, and kale. And we have a little garden in our backyard that I, I love doing that. And it's neat to see it grow and, and, and to, to eat from that, right? I, I love doing that. The interesting thing, though, is when I plant a seed, like a lettuce seed, what grows from that seed? It's not a trick question. <laughs> lettuce, right? Lettuce grows from the seed. A seed doesn't pop out from the ground and say, oh, you planted a seed and now there's 10 seeds. No, you plant a lettuce seed and you get lettuce. Eventually, you know, it grows and it, it, it you know, it, grow, it keeps on growing. And then, and then you can get seeds and, you know, from all these things, and you can replant and you can do all that kind of thing, right? There, there's that that happens when you plant an apple tree. You don't get, you don't get apples. You, you don't get, you get the tree first. Right? There's a long period between planting a seed of an apple and then getting another seed from an apple. A long period. So when we give of our first produce, God will provide. That's why Jesus taught his disciples, give us today our daily bread. God will provide for each and every one of us. But it may not always be in the way that we think. It may not always be in the way that we want. It's not like a, it's not like a Ponzi scheme, you know, give me $10,000, I'm going to make you 20% guaranteed, right? Like it's not, that's not what this is. It's, but we give because we're stewards, and God says, I will provide for you. And in case you don't like what I just said, uh, look at verse 11. Uh, Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son. <laughs> that's why you got to read the scriptures in context. Uh, do not loathe his discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. So I'm curious, if you were to, uh, if, if, if you were to take this magnifying glass and place it over your heart, I wonder, I wonder what your neighbor would see. I wonder what you would see. Would you see a, a heart, would you see a life that's a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 sort of life? Or it's like, yeah, I trust in you, God, with all of my heart. I, I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. Yes, God, I'm going to trust you. And that's it. Or are you going to see a life that doesn't see everything as, you, doesn't see yourself, where you don't see yourself as an owner, but you actually see yourself as a steward. And you're not living a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 sort of Christianity, but you're living a Proverbs 3 Christianity where trusting God means trusting him with your first produce. And you're like, uh, how am I going to do that? How am I going to give my first 10% to God when groceries have gone up 30%? 
right? When mortgage rates have gone up and doubled, like how, God, am I supposed to trust in you? Okay, do not lean on my own understanding. Do not lean on my own wisdom because that's like leaning on a broken crutch. Okay, God, here's my first produce. Here's my first 10%. I trust you. Is that what you would see if, is that what God would see if he placed a magnifying glass over your heart? Beulah Church family, uh, money magnifies what we believe about ourselves, right? Money magnifies the condition of our hearts. But lastly, money also magnifies the present. Just take a look at Proverbs 18.11. The wealth of the rich is his fortified city. In his imagination, it is like a high wall. Now just think about that for a moment. I want you to reread that. The wealth of the rich is his fortified city. In his imagination, it is like a high wall. When you have lots of money, doesn't it feel like you're unstoppable? Like, for example, if you've ever gotten a bonus or, or you've, you've done taxes and, and you've gotten a refund, like, doesn't it feel like you're kind of unstoppable? It's like, oh, yeah, let's go for dinner. It's on me. <laughs> All right, let's go on a vacation. Let's do this, right? Because you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I can do anything. No, you can't, like, go out every meal. That's unsustainable. Right? You can't live like that. But when you kind of come into a bit of money and you weren't expecting it, like it's just, it kind of, doesn't it sort of feel powerful a little bit? I know we don't like using that word, but doesn't it sort of feel like you're unstoppable, that you can do anything? Well, in Proverbs, it's because of, it's actually, we see why. Because money acts like a fortified city in a high wall. Just take a look at this picture. This is from Italy. It's a completely walled off medieval town built in the 13th century. Looks like there's only one way in and one way out. And, and you can see watchtowers all along the wall for observation, for lookout, and for defense. And then this next picture is from Pingyao, China. Look at how big these walls are. <laughs> And the towers uh, along this city, there are six major gates and 72 watchtowers. Imagine how safe you'd feel inside of this. You know, if you lived inside of each of these, e either one of these fortified cities, you'd feel safe, right? I mean, in ancient times, living inside of a city like those with high walls, fortified cities, towers, that was synonymous with safety. Because not everyone could afford to live inside of a city like that. There are many who lived outside. But when you lived inside, you didn't have to worry about uh, dust storms. You didn't have to worry about wild animals or robbers. Because you were good. You were inside of a wall. You only saw what was around you. You didn't have to worry about what was out there. But the interesting thing about living inside of a city like those ones is that it wasn't only a, a way to guarantee your security and safety or, or give you the feeling of that, but it was, a, it was a way to indicate that you were wealthy. Just take a look at this next one. This is in Uzbekistan. Look at how opulent the walls look. They are going to have Christmas dinner at my house because I want everyone to see how great of a place I live. <laughs> right, imagine driving up or coming up to a place that had this. Like, that's opulent. 
Or how about this in Dubrovnik, Croatia? Uh, you're living in this side of this side of Walls City. You don't need to wake up early to go to the public beach and reserve a spot. No, you could sleep in and go to your private beach. <laughs> right? Because you got ocean access when you live in that walled city. Or how about this? I love this. This is in the Netherlands. Look at that. Talk about wealth. Right? I mean, that's incredible. And there's drawbridges. Like, I would love to live in a place that you only way you could get on is via a drawbridge. Like, how cool is that? A drawbridge. And here's the thing about money. While having lots of it is going to give you the feeling of safety and wealth, uh, you know, this feeling of living in a fortified city with high walls, uh, you actually aren't when you have it, right? Just, just take a look at the verse again. The wealth of the rich is his fortified city in his what? Imagination. In his imagination. The wealth of the rich is his fortified city. Yeah, because it kind of feels like you're safe, you're secure, you're good to go when you have lots of money. It's, it's yeah, it's my secure city. No one can take over. I'm good. Whoops. <laughs> in his imagination. Oh, so it's not? No, it's in his imagination. It's like a high wall. In other words, money doesn't create a fortified city and a high wall that you can live behind. Money doesn't do that. It's, it's not real. It only gives you the feeling of safety and security because it's actually a house of cards. That's why in the verse that comes right before it, it says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. You see that language? Tower, walls, city, fortified. In other words, the name of the Lord, Yahweh, is a strong tower. Our wealth isn't a strong tower. Money isn't a strong tower. Our possessions and our plans, no matter how well laid and wise they might be for your retirement, that's not our strong tower. What our strong tower is, is the Lord. God is our actual fortified city. God is the one who brings and brings about and creates these walls that we can live behind. Not money, but God. That's why we read in Proverbs eleven twenty eight, anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. When the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing and hope placed in wealth vanishes. And the high-walled fortress will be brought down, thrown to the ground, into the dust. See how ma- do you see how ma- money magnifies the present? Right? Because when you have money and you feel like you're living in a safe city and with high walls, all you see is what's right in front of you. You don't see, you don't need to worry about what's tomorrow. You don't need to worry about what's changing on the outside or if there's battles or wars or anything going on. Or you don't need to worry about it. You don't see it because you just, money magnifies the present. Magnifies the present. It gives you a feeling of safety. It gives you a feeling of security. But as we see in Proverbs 18.11, it's imaginary. And in Isaiah 25, 12, the high-walled fortress will be brought down, thrown to the ground, to the dust. 
And when the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing and hope, place, and wealth vanishes. Money isn't our strong tower, God is. So are you using your money to build up a fortress for yourself? Or are you using your money to build up a fortress and a tower that'll never fall and that all can run to and find refuge in? A couple weeks ago, I received this letter from a lawyer uh, and it was from one of our seniors who had recently passed away. And I, I got this letter because uh, they had um, written Beulah into their will. Now, I'm not going to share who this is because um, I, think, I, don't, I don't think they would want that. But when I look at their life and the life they lived here in Edmonton and at Beulah, man... The multiplication that happened in their life, the spiritual multiplication, the number of people that they disciple, even to the point of her death, that she was praying for. I actually remember having a phone conversation one time and she's like, Daniel, Daniel, I got to tell you this. Uh, you're not very good at telling jokes. <laughs> and I was like, I know I'm not. I'm trying. Trying to learn a little bit, but I, I know I'm not. And then, and then she followed up, and then she was like, but I love your preaching. Just keep on preaching. She multiplied herself, her and her late husband. They gathered, they, they grew, they gave. They went. And by leaving 8% of her estate to Beulah, it wasn't like this, oh, I'm going to tithe at the end of my life, so I don't need to tithe during my life. No, they gave regularly. They were very generous. But when they gave, the reason I'm sharing this with you, uh, there's, there's a couple reasons. When they gave, I'll start with this. When they gave, I knew that they were wise and, and they had planned things out. And, and they knew that when, when they gave a percentage of their estate to the church, uh, it would actually reduce the taxes owed on their estate. So there's wisdom there. Uh, but they also gave, I think the real reason they did this is because they just so believed in our vision to awaken greater Edmonton to King Jesus. They so believed in it because they lived that way. And they were like, hey, by giving of my estate to the church, that's, I, I receive zero benefit from that because I'm dead. <laughs> but if this can help propel our vision forward to awaken greater Edmonton to King Jesus, then I'm going to do it. So Christina and I, um, we, we had... Uh, we haven't updated our wills since before kids. Like, it's been 13 years since we've updated our wills. And, and, and we've talked about this quite a bit. And we were like, yeah, we should update our wills. We should, we'll just get around it. But we never, we'll, we've never gotten around to it. And as, we were, as, as I received this letter, I was personally so inspired by their generosity. I was like, Christina, like, what do you think about writing Beulah into our wills? So that just as Beulah has helped awaken greater Edmonton to King Jesus over these last 102 years so that when we pass, we can be a part of that continuing forward. She's like, yeah, of course. So I share that with you because I want to invite you to pray about that too. Where you're not only living your life here in a Proverbs 3 sort of way, not Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 alone, but Proverbs 3 sort of way, but where you can live your life both now and after you pass, 
continuing that legacy, showing those around you, showing all of us, hey, here's an example of someone who recognized that their money is actually more about magnifying and building a wall that'll never fall, fail a tower that all can run to and find refuge in. So Beulah Church family, um, as we end our message, as we end the message today, I just want to ask you those three questions again. What is your money magnifying? You know, if you were to take this magnifying glass and, and place it and, and someone else, I guess, were to, were to take this and, and, and look at your bank statements or look at your credit card statements, what would they say, someone else were to do this, what would they say that you valued? What would they say that you prioritized? Because money magnifies what we believe about ourselves, right? And if God were to take this magnifying glass and place it over your heart, what would he see? Would he see a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Yeah, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you with all my heart, with all my soul. I'm going to trust in you with my time. I'm going to trust in you with my talents. And then I'm going to tip you over here <laughs> with what's left. Or is he actually going to see a Proverbs entirety, 3, sort of Christian, where you're like, God, here's my first fruits. I am not an owner of any of this. I'm a steward. So here you go. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet by giving you this first, but I know you promised that you would take care of me. So I choose to follow you in this. Because money magnifies the condition of our hearts. And if, if, if you were to take this magnifying glass, would you place it on the present or on the future? On building up walls and towers, opulent ones for yourself? Or a tower that'll never fall and that all can run to and find refuge in? Because money magnifies the present. So I want to invite you, um, as we sing this song, it's, it's a little bit of an oldie, heart of worship. Uh, and as we sing this, I want to invite you to pray. Uh, maybe you want to sing along with the song, or maybe you just want to spend this time praying. What's interesting about this song is that when it was written, um, the church and, and the people writing it realized uh, that That their, that their focus wasn't on the future, their focus was actually on their present. And as a result, they had kind of, they had allowed their hearts to wander from the heart of worship and, and, and wander away from seeing their lives as stewards to being more owners. And in, in this song, and you'll see the language, right? I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. You'll see in the language this confession, this repentance that happens in the song because it's this recognition, man, I've strayed from the heart of worship. I've strayed from giving you my all and my everything. I focused on some parts and not the others. So I want to come back to you. So perhaps you want to sing along this song as your prayer in response to this message or maybe you just want to pray. But whatever you do, I want to invite you to respond uh, as you reflect on what we just talked about. Thanks for listening, and thank you for giving. 
Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.